Good morning, Bethlehem Community Church. It's good to be with you again from this beautiful camp, Black Rock Camp, at uh, in Corville, Pennsylvania. Um, it's a uh, a lovely setting, as you can see, with a roaring fire in the background that you wish you were here. Um, <clears throat> I have thoroughly enjoyed uh, being able to uh, put up uh, these video um, sermons, but I wish I could be with you. Um, but this is the next best thing, and so this is what we'll have to do for now. You know, we've, uh, we've all devised ways of, of measuring things. Uh, there are, there's miles, there's kilometers, there's uh, Fahrenheit, there's centigrade, uh, there's inches, feet, centimeters, millimeters, hand breaths, talents, height, depth, length, weight. But the most interesting standard of measure uh, that was completely unfamiliar to me was the SMOOT. S-M-O-O-T. I had never heard of that before. It's a standard of measure equal to 5 feet 7 inches. And it's named after Oliver Smoot, who in 1958 was a fraternity pledge at Harvard, and he agreed to be used as a, a measuring stick, if you will, um, for the 2,000-foot-long Harvard Bridge um, separating uh, Boston from Cambridge. So what he would do is he would lie down, and they would mark uh, head, foot, chalk marks, and he would get up, and he would lie down again, mark the spots, get up, lie down again, all the way across the bridge. And it was determined that the bridge was 364.4 smoots long. By the way, and, I, and I'm not kidding about this, you can check me out, that Google offers the option of measuring anything in smoots. Go ahead, ask um, Alexa how many smoots in a mile. And she will tell you that there are 945.671642 smooths. In Ephesians chapter 3, verses 18 and 19, Paul prayed that the church might comprehend what, what is the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. In other words, he prayed that we might be able to measure the unmeasurable and that we might be able to know the unknown. And that's what we're going to explore this morning as we look at an attribute or characteristic of God, and that is the love of God. It's a vast topic, vast as, as God himself. And while God is incomprehensible, he is also knowable because he's made himself known to us. And so we're going to look at what we know about the love of God that will provide an understanding of what he thinks of us and what we think of him and others. Now my text is, is from 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. Beloved, 
Let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love God does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. And then drop down to verse 19. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has not seen, love cannot love God whom he has seen, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Now, my main point, and this is really my outline as well, is that God's perfect love begins in himself, is demonstrated most clearly in the gospel, and finds its perfection or its completion in our loving one another. So let's begin. God is the source of love itself. Verse 7, love is from God. And verse 16 says, God is love. Now this passage, which we just read, as well as 1 Corinthians 13, is often read at weddings, which sometimes makes me crazy because the word love is so broadly applied. C.S. Lewis, in his fine book, The Four Loves, describes from the Greek language a far more definitive understanding of love because there are specific Greek words that describe different kinds, actually three different kinds of human love, and then distinguishes them from the one kind of divine love. The human loves are eros, the love of attraction, philea, the love of friendship, and stergo, the natural love that parents have for their children. And the word for divine love is agape. And that is the word used in our text, as well as in 1 Corinthians 13. Lewis, as well as our text, makes the point that agape, or divine love, finds its source in the very nature of God himself. The other forms of love are but shadows of the divine character manifested in his creation. However, all of these human loves can be abused because of our own sinful nature. For example, eros can become lust. Philea can become manipulatory and codependent. 
And family love can become abusive and destructive. Only agape is the perfect love that cannot be abused by sinful humanity. And that is why it is the only love which defines the very character of God. Now Lewis goes on further to define God's love as a gift love, which differentiates itself from all human loves which are based on needs, need love. Agape is a love which finds its source in the lover and not in any quality of the object love. However, in all human love, the object is love because it possesses some quality that the lover needs, something that makes it lovable or worthy of the lover's love. Human love says, I love you because you're so kind, because you're so beautiful, because you're so rich, or because you're my child. But God's love is a gift love. It's an in spite of love, not a because of kind of love. And this is why in the King James Version of the Bible, when you read 1 Corinthians 13, the word love is replaced by the word charity, which might strike us odd, but it totally is consistent with the nature of God's love. Such love originates in the heart of the giver and moves toward the desperate condition of the object love, which has nothing to give in return. God does not need to love us. We add nothing to him when he loves us. He chooses to love us with a love that is ceaseless and never-ending. So in summary, God's love is willful, intentional, initiating, and ceaseless. It flows from his nature to us for reasons known only to him and is not based upon any worthiness or attractiveness in us. Like the little ditty that I learned as a kid, isn't it odd that a being like God who sees the facade still loves the clod he made out of sod? Yes, isn't it odd? The second point in our text is that God's perfect love is most clearly demonstrated in the Gospel. Verse 9. In this, the love of God was manifested, that God sent His only Son into the world that we might live through Him. And verse 10. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. When I woke up this morning, I did not have to wonder if God still loved me. There, there's no uncertainty as to what God thinks of me, because I didn't earn His love in the first place. All I have to ask myself is, do I believe the Gospel? Well, I believe that Jesus Christ, God's only Son, died on the cross for my sin, 
and rose again from the dead. Well then, it's settled. The scripture says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It also says these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So the basis of our assurance does not rest in how we feel, but in what we believe, the gospel. God chose to love us. He continues to love us and has proven that love by sending Christ to die for us. Not because we're so lovable, but even while we were yet in our sins, ungodly, enemies of God, how can you measure such love? And such a certainty of God's love can give us hope in the midst of dark times, like the times that we're facing now. An old hymn says, though darkness hides his lovely face, I trust in his unfailing grace. In Lamentations chapter 3, right in the middle of the darkness of the prophets, Jeremiah's suffering and persecution, he says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And Paul adds in Romans chapter 8, where he talks about persecution and being led as lambs to the slaughter, that nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. James Boyce told the story of a time when Napoleon's armies had opened a prison that had been used by the Spanish Inquisition. They found the remains of a prisoner who had been tortured for his faith in an underground dungeon. The body had long since decayed and chains were still fastened around the ankles of the skeleton. And I quote Boyce, but this prisoner long since dead had left a witness on the wall of his small dismal cell, this faithful soldier of Jesus had scratched a rough cross with four words surrounding it. Above the cross was the Spanish word for height. Below it was the word for depth. To the left, the word for width, and to the right, the word length. Clearly this prisoner wanted to testify to the surpassing greatness of God's love in Christ, perceived even in his suffering. The third point that's brought out by our text in 1 John chapter 4 is that God's love is not perfected or completed unless and until we love one another. Verse 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another. Verse 19 says, We love because he first loved us. Verse 20 says, If anyone says, I love God, and yet hate his brother, he's a liar. And verse 21 says, And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God must love his brother also. 
You get the real sense here that it is not only the very nature of God's love to love, but it is the very nature of God's love to be given away by those who are loved by God. And if we are to love others the way that we have been loved, then this perfect love must be completed by proceeding from us to others who have not earned our love and perhaps have no loveliness in themselves. It is a gift love. In fact, in, in 1 John chapter 3, just a chapter before, verse 17, it says, But whoever has the world's goods and beholds his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Now maybe this brother or sister is in financial need or some other kind of need. Maybe it's our husband, or wife, a child, a parent, at some needy point in their lives. They have no loveliness to us. Or can I give us anything in return? Do we extend to them the same perfect charity that God extended to us while we were still in our sins? Or do we close our hearts to them? You see, this is the kind of love that holds marriages and families together, that keeps fathers from running away from responsibility when things get tough, keeps mothers seeking fulfillment in someone else when their needs are not being met. It's a completely different kind of love than most people think about when they go to get married and when they hear the love word at weddings. By the way, as an aside, do you realize that when we give our marriage vows, we do not express the love or the feelings we have for each other at that moment of marriage, which could be nothing more than strong attraction, lust, my ticket to get away from my family, I better grab this catch now before I get because I'm getting older and time's slipping by. It could mean any one of these things hidden beneath that nondescript word of love. Instead, our vows are meant to express the commitment, not a feeling, that we promise to have in a future yet to be experienced. To have and to hold from this day forward. To love, to cherish, for better, for worse. For richer, for poor. In sickness and in health. Until death do its part. Little can we imagine what such love means when we're young and we have all of life to live. Before those annoying habits set in. Before cancer before financial upheaval, or the loss of a child, or the loss of a job, or the changes that come with old age. This is when that deeper love, the kind of love, agape love, must kick in, or else we'll run the danger of bailing out. There's one more aspect here of extending God's perfect love to others that is found in verse 12 that I, I want to hallmark. 
It says, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected or completed in us. Now, it may seem strange, but whenever I see this term completed, I think of an electric circuit. You know, there's a power source, there's a lamp or a light that's in between is, is a switch. When the switch is open, uh, no electricity goes through. God's love stops with us. And when the switch is closed, then the power goes through and lights the light bulb. No one can see God unless we love. And when we love, that's when they can see God. Now I have my own little switch here. I bought this at Hobby Lobby. And <clears throat> so the switch is not yet completed. No one can see God until I complete the switch by loving others. And then they can see God. Switch is open. I love and close the switch. I complete the love of God going through me to others. Switch is open. Switch is closed. God's love is completed in me so that the invisible God can be made invisible. Can be made visible. I'll never forget the time in uh, my church in Massachusetts when we ran a soup kitchen for the homeless. I was sitting at one of the tables with two of our volunteers and several guests, among whom was a man who was a bit drunk and kept his head on the table almost the whole time. Then there was a woman who was very argumentative, and as I was giving a devotional, she kept interrupting me. I was talking about God's love, and she kept inserting, God doesn't love us, God doesn't love us, He doesn't care about us, I don't think God exists, if he loved us, he'd do a better job. She kept saying things like this. Suddenly, the man with his head on the table looked up and said to her, Shut up. I know you're not supposed to say that when you're preaching. But he continued to say, You want to see God? There's God. And he pointed to me. There's God. And he pointed to one of our volunteers. There's God, and he pointed to another one of our volunteers. What an incredible theological truth. We made God visible by the love we demonstrated to our homeless guests. They did nothing to earn our love, just like we did nothing to earn the love of God. But we were the switches completing the circuit of God's love. From him, to us, to others, making him visible. So, can we really measure the love of God? In one sense, it is unmeasurable, since it would be like measuring the very character of God himself. In another sense, however, it can be measured not in smoots, but by the dimensions of the cross 
by how much it makes God visible when it passes through us to others. What an incredible opportunity we have, brothers and sisters, each day to love someone with the love of God. Willfully, intentionally, undeservedly, passing on to someone else the gracious, in spite of love of God that has been poured into our hearts. Each day we can do this. No matter where we are, at home, at church, work, school, in traffic, making the invisible God visible by demonstrating His unmeasurable love. Let's pray. Father, I, I remember the, the words of that old hymn, Chosen not for good in me, wakened up from wrath to flee, hidden in my Savior's side, by thy Spirit sanctified. Help me, Lord, on earth to show, by my love, how much I owe. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Hi, I'm Jeff Eckstein, one of the pastors here at Bethlehem Community Church. Welcome to our Sunday podcast, coming to you from the town of Bethlehem in upstate New York in the USA. Bethlehem Community Church is an independent, non-denominational, Bible-based evangelical church that includes people with backgrounds from many denominations. We believe that it is only through the love of the Father, the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ on the cross, and the power of the Holy Spirit that we can come into a personal relationship with God. We are people truly seeking a deeper intimacy with God and with one another. If you'd like to know more about our church, please visit our website at www.bccdelmar.org. There you'll be able to find our statement of faith, as well as more about the ministry of Bethlehem Community Church. You'll also be able to submit prayer requests as we are called to pray with and for you. We also would love to hear your story and how you found our podcast and where you're listening from. So please visit our website and send us an email. Again, it's bccdelmar.org. That's bccdelmar.org. Thank you for joining us as we continue our pursuit of knowing God and making Him known.